Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to the Utah Jazz Hour that you knew was coming. That's what everyone at home was thinking all year. The Utah Jazz are going to get an entire podcast episode on the Thinking Basketball Podcast. We can sense it. We knew it when they were like 6-20. and 20. It was just, it was right around the corner. Um, some people might be wondering why we're talking about the Utah Jazz. Because if you are a standings watcher, you may have noticed out of the corner of your eye that they have passed the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers. And they've moved into the play-in position. And that may have, when I say corner of the eye, I mean like, it may have caught your attention. You may be thinking, huh, that's interesting. The Jazz there, that, that, that's a cute team. Um, Cody, the Jazz have a plus seven net rating in the last month. They are stomping people and taking names. They are white hot. What are they, like 15 and four? In their last time, I think we should get, I think we should just start the show with this basic piece of information about what has happened in Utah. The Jazz started the season with a record of 7 and 16. They are now 21 and 20. They have gone 14 and 4 in their last 18 games. In the last month, we keep track on thinkingbasketball.net for our deluxe Patreon subscribers. We track the trends of the last month. Utah, Looks like one of the top six teams in the NBA in the last month. So we, we got to have an emergency meeting. We got to figure out what's going on. They're blowing out the Denver Nuggets. They're blowing out your Milwaukee Bucks. First, it was cute. They were blowing out bad teams. And then they just started blowing out good teams. And uh, we ha- we're going to talk about how good they are. What's happening? Is Will Hardy the greatest coach in NBA history? Should they just stop the season right now and give Will Hardy all the awards and all this for a 20 and 21 and 20 team. But how good can they really be? Can they keep this up? Can anyone slow them down? <sighs> Cody, how you doing? There's, there's so many directions to go in this podcast today because there's players, Ben, that like in the last, cause I, I've immersed myself in jazz world, right? Immersed myself in well, jazz. Okay. World. And before you go, I just want to remind people who are like, we're talking about the jazz. I'm going to convince you, Cody and I are going to convince you at the end of this show that the Jazz might be the most fun team. Like, if we had league pass rankings right now, the Jazz are my number one league pass ranking team. They were like 21st before because Will Hardy is interesting and they do some fun stuff. But this team is wild. We're going to talk about it. Cody, I pass it back to you. I just needed to get that out there. Like, this team is not just good. They are fascinating. Number one. That's a bold proclamation. I like this. Who's better? I like this. Who's better to watch? You know what? I'm not going to do this off the top because unlike <laughs> you right now, I'm going to take a measured approach to all this. Mm, but mm. I will say in the like in the NBA League Pass player power rankings, there's at least one guy that's like all catapulted his way into the top of like the Cody must watch players. We'll get to him at some point here. But a, a matter of business, I've called for this from the good members of the state of Utah and no one's gotten back to me on this. How do I refer to people that live in Utah, because like Wisconsin, you come from Wisconsin, you're a Wisconsinite, okay? Come from Minnesota, you're a Miss Minnesotan. Utah, I've been saying Utah, like you just take the word Utah and put N yeah. at the end. Yeah. Are you a Utah? Is that right? Or is there, is there something Is there something else that I'm missing? And no, no one's told me some from now on, this episode, you're a Utah, and that's just what I'm going to go well, with. Well, according to the, there's a website where you can like look up information. It's called Google. And, website. And yes. And according to Google, it is uh, Utah. That's what they said. It say. is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Utah. I was making it up as a joke. <laughs> no, your instincts were, <laughs> your 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 language, your linguistic instincts were spot on. I guess it could be called Utahans, as well. Yeah. But this Utah is what this says. So yes, the people of Utah. <laughs> so yeah, the the Utahns are very lucky because they have a very interesting team that they get to watch right now. And and honestly, I I don't know what side of the ball is more fun for me to watch because I think Will Hardy's offensive, like the flow, the brilliance he brings that we'll get into in a second is just, it's it's masterful. Some of the ways that you see players doing reach, like, wow, you guys have covered this quite a bit. But defensively, like the way that they like know the personnel of the the opposing players that they're coming up against, it's unreal how much preparation that they're that they have for like a regular season game. And I know some of it seem like it might be like an easy enough adjustment, but in like the... 
you know, the long regular season to be able to make some some of these adjustments before like a single game, it, it's nothing less than like spectacular to watch. Like the Jazz just bring something new every night that other teams usually don't in the context of a regular season slog. So we're going to talk about why. Uh, why this is happening, what's going on with them. And then in a few minutes, we'll we'll really nerd out and get in. I want to know this player who you can't stop watching. I want to know what country he's from. Um, but like the, the, the basics of what Cody just said here, Utah looks in the last month really good. They're the eighth best offensive team in the NBA and the 11th best defensive team. And as we've talked about, it's very rare right now to have teams with that balance where they're really good on offense and they're really good on defense. I think as of uh, a week ago, the full season results for that, like three teams, Oklahoma City, Boston, and maybe New York, whoever we were talking about as the third team, uh, are both top 10 in offense and defense. So Utah, part of what's happening is the offense has been much better and the defense has been much better. They are really good at home. I'm really interested to see how this trend goes because early in the year they were struggling. They just they would fall apart on the road. And this run that they've had, there seems to be like no difference between home and away. Like when they spanked your bucks, Cody, that game was in Milwaukee. They went to Philadelphia, Joel and Beadless 76ers. They blew them out. Um, they've had a ton of road wins as part of this stretch, some against some not-so-good teams. So if they can actually get it together on the road for the entire season, they're already really good at home. They're, they already look like a top-10 team for the entire year at home, and they just have this massively upward-trending streak right now. I think the first place to start is with the lineups and tinkering the lineups. Will Hardy has been tinkering the lineups throughout the year, and I think he's found some pairings and combinations that have really changed stuff with the team. And, and the guy I want to land on right away is uh, the Italian legend, Simone Fontecchio, who the Jazz, Cody, the Jazz are eight and one in this lineup they're running now with Simone Fontecchio in the starting lineup. This is a change in the last month. Um, yeah, let's just start there. The, the, everything seems dialed in in terms of pairing players together so you get the right amount of shooting on the court, you get the right amount of playmaking on the court. We'll get into Hardy's spacing and X's and O's and then the right amount of defense. Chris Dunn is also starting the resurrection of old Chris Dunn and he gives them sort of this defensive prowess uh, in the starting lineup as well. So it's enough positive defenders, enough positive ball handlers and creators, enough shooters and spacing. And he almost plays like two units. They go 10 deep. They've completely removed Taylor Horton Tucker from the rotation. It's like a hockey team. The first unit comes in, the second unit comes in, and it's just destroying people. And it's the lineup construction, the the like way that he spreads out minutes per game kind of reminds me of like the 2014 Spurs. Like off the top of my head, I don't think any player on that team averaged over 30 minutes per game. And right now, I think there might only be two guys on the Jazz that are over 30 minutes per game. And if it isn't two, it's like really close to that. And beyond that, like the amount of guys averaging over 20 minutes per game, over 15 minutes per game, like you said, it goes 10, 11 deep, and Taylor Horton Tucker lands in that bunch, but he's been really sporadic, like you said. I think he hasn't really played the last few games after starting quite a few games before that and being like uh, a common guy that's been in a lot of lineups. But they've had 16 starting lineups in their 41 games last I checked. I don't know if they, I don't think they played last night, so 16 different starting lineups. And just like, no one's really consistently starting. The only two guys that have like super consistently been in the starting lineup when they're out there are John Collins and Laurie Markkinen, and everyone else is just kind of like, let's see what this guy's going to be like. Let's see how this guy's going to handle this position. And I think that's part of the reason they really struggled is they were really finding their identity. It's like, all right, we don't necessarily have like a couple singular talents that are going to just drag us across the regular season. We have these 10 guys. We have a couple guys that are, you know, better than average, but they kind of need like a certain kind of system to really elevate what they're doing on the court. And so I think there was, like you said, a lot of tinkering to figure out exactly who's going to play. And Fontecchio finally landing in like these minutes is unbelievable because his ability to just be like, he's huge out there. Like if he's listed at six, seven, that's a lie, Ben. This guy's clearly six, eight, six, nine. He's just huge out there. I, I think he's listed. At, he's listed at six, eight on my. Oh, is he? Yes. On my information. Okay. What, do you, okay. what information do you have? 
I thought I thought Basketball Reference was telling me that, but I don't want to slander them. I could be wrong. Yeah, but I was watching. Like he's not six. Yeah, okay, he's, he's big. He's a, he's a very big dude. Yeah. And when he has like the shooting prowess, he's shooting like forty three percent on wide open threes. And I know he's only been in the league for a couple seasons, but a twenty eight year old second year player. And you can see that he's been like a professional for a long time because he's not a typical second year player. Like he feels really comfortable out there. He knows what his abilities are. He like showcases a little bit of off the dribble talent once in a while. Like he can upfake someone, take a dribble in, kick it out or something like that. But he's a lot more comfortable just like squaring up. He's huge. So it's tough to contest his catch and shoot threes. And then defensively, he just knows where to be. And he's big, which is always just a really valuable thing, especially to have in like this weird rotating defense that they throw out. So I think they landed on this like really interesting talent that kind of came out of nowhere these last couple of seasons. Well, we've seen teams make a single adjustment. And like last year, uh, the Knicks threw Quentin Grimes in the starting lineup and it changed things. We've seen the Celtics two years ago change a rotation or a lineup or, or just a single thing. With Utah, it's tinkering all these things. And I think... Fontecchio is part of it. I'm, I'm assuming half the people listening haven't even seen a Jazz game this year. I think they were on national TV recently against the Nuggets when they curb stomped them. I mean, this is just all they do. They just play teams. We had a group text the other night where I said, I feel bad for the Lakers to have to play the Jazz tonight. And then Cody was like, well, LeBron isn't playing. So it might be a situation where you let your guard down and the Lakers have this big game and the Lakers had this big lead in the first quarter. And I was like, Cody, that's the Jazz. The Lakers are not going to win the rest of this game because the Jazz are just too, like, it's legit. They're really good right now. We're going to try to talk through how good they are. But Fontecchio is one part of it where he comes in the starting lineup about a month and a half ago and you get a very polished, as you said, professional where he shoots well, high release, great movement off the ball, and then knows when to attack and close out and make the good extra pass. That's all he does. He reminds me of one of these players on like the Manu Ginobili, uh, uh, Oberto, Argentinian national teams that you're just like, so he doesn't have all this iso ball handle self-generated scoring juice, but he plays hard. He knows where to be. He defends. He can shoot. And then you put that, and I'm so glad you said the 2014 Spurs because I get the vibes as well where you don't have a player really playing over 30 minutes per game. You have so many different contributors in different places. Like they try to play two playmaking guards. So Sexton will play with Clarkson and then Clarkston will play with George. They just try to always have two of those guys out there. Then they want the shooting. If they go to a defense lineup, like they moving Walker Kessler to the bench was a huge thing and finding, okay, Walker Kessler on the bench and let me pair him with Kelly Olynyk, who's a stretch big. And he's a stretch big who can kind of make some plays in the middle of the court and supplement the playmaking. And so what you end up with is this read and react flow offense that has these hints of a beautiful game element. Because what Coach Will Hardy wants is he wants the players out there making decisions, understanding how to read defenses, moving and flowing from one set into the next. And so if you haven't seen this team, um, it's sort of like not suitable for work basketball level of adult entertainment. Like they'll start with like a staggered screen away and then they're twirl it. The guy who sets the screen turns around and then he comes over and gets a little pitch and then he goes in the corner. Meanwhile, three other guys are screening on the other side of the court. They're sprinting in different directions. Oopsie doopsie, Lowry and got open, you know, he's like one of the best shooters in the league. So that's a three. Lowry's kind of the centerpiece of it all and the star and the big name. But he, because of the way he plays, he's not on ball a lot. Stuff isn't built around him. They're augmenting defensive lineups around him. I wouldn't say he's a poor defender because he's so big. Uh, he uses his size really well. But it's like, why, why start Fontecchio? Why start Chris Dunn? Those guys are really good defensively. Even finding um, in the in the bench units like minutes for for Ochai uh, Agbaji, right? Like yeah. he's he's comes in and he can give defensive minutes. So it's like all of a sudden everything is falling into place, and you get this team that is way more than the sum of their parts. And okay, something you said about like they're blending in with a lot of these actions. I think what's really fun, Ben. You le- you start learning like X's nose, and you just become like 
Leonardo DiCaprio meme, like pointing to the screen, like, ah, I know the name of that play. But like what he likes to do is he sets it up like a lot of some of these common like NBA actions, right? Not getting into the weeds of just like, look at me naming all these, but some common NBA actions you see. And then you're are like, you, okay, I do a little delay action right now. Yeah, a little, a little delay. Actually, I don't think they do a lot of delay they action. That's the one action of, they don't. They do not do a lot of delay action because it doesn't, actually, it doesn't suit their personnel, right? No. Yeah. Anyway, keep so, going. Yeah, like you said, you have a lot of these guys coming off like double staggers, but then like an action will happen and then over here there'll be another kind of screen, but then two guys over here kind of bunched up and you're like, oh, wait a second, are one of these guys going to screen for that person? And then just like because they seem to be communicating like telepathically, like all of a sudden one of them like dives to the rim, one of them flares out and you're just like, oh my God, the defense is completely thrown away. Uh, Kelly Olynyk throws a lob to John Collins or throws a lob to whoever or John Collins throws a lob to Kessler. There's just lobs all over the place because people are freaking out about like the perimeter actions that they're doing. And a lot of it works, like you said, because Laurie Markkinen is kind of used as like a Reggie Miller offensive piece in the sense that like they're not just giving him the ball and they're like, hey, go create some stuff for us because he's not really much of a creator. Like the weakness in his offensive game is, is the passing chops. You know, once in a while you can see him making a nice little p- kick out, but like short arms passes, misses reads, uh, overthrows players, things like that. But when you set him up in a position where he comes off a pin down, he catches and he fires, like it's impossible to contest him because he's a seven footer with a high release. But oh, you're getting up close to him. This guy just burns by you with the streaking athleticism because he just wants to dunk on everyone. One. Like this guy just dives to the basket with reckless abandon. And that's a lot to try and stay in front of. And then when you have defenses collapsing, he's a good enough passer that he can make a simple uh, kick out. And then everyone else just kind of knows where to be around that. So like he's sort of the juice that makes the offense flow, but it's not in the sense that like they're giving him the ball and letting him cook. But his ability to just like be decisive in his shots and his drives and things like that is the thing that really makes the offense as potent as it is. Well, they've really weaponized him away from the ball, to your point. And what I love about the Jazz offense is that the sequences always have options that build on each other. So the entire wide pin down where they set a screen in the corner for Lowry and he curls off, that creates problems for the defense. Do you send two players to that? If you don't, do do you, you post him up because of the switch? Like, how do you handle that when he comes off that curl or just comes off that screen for a catch and shoot? Then the next time, Utah can just use him as the screener. So the two guys are over in the corner. He turns around and sets the screen. And now you have a dynamic, one of those dynamic offensive players that I talked about, Jordan Clarkson or someone like that curling. And if the defense has to respond to that, then marketing just pops out for a little catch and shoot three. So... The actions are always building on each other. They have another one that I love where they'll have staggered screens away from the ball and everyone in the NBA runs this and the guy curls off and you can attack from there and get good offense. But they'll do stuff like against the Mavs, Cody, they came down, they set up the staggered screen action away from the ball and then it turns out it's actually not a staggered screen. Fontecchio turns and he's going to set two screens for the ball handler instead. So they're not looking for the off-ball action. Now they turn it into an on-ball action. And then Fontecchio, is it is it a Spain pick and roll? Is it what's is it a slip and a pop? No, Fontecchio slides like in between the defender and the other screener, flares out to the three-point line, just catch and shoot, drops it on someone's head because that's his skill set. So all of the Xs and Os that they have have these series that can develop in in this sort of beautiful way. And what they want is continuity. So if the first part of the action breaks down, where are you going? Where are you flowing to next? If I set a screen here the and the action isn't an easy shot, I go somewhere else and I set another screen. It's just not super easy to defend, especially relative to what we would think about the o- offensive talent they have is out on the court. And what really does help the off-ball stuff happens is the way that they've like consolidated a lot of the on-ball juice, too. Like you said, I think it's especially Colin Sexton and it's Jordan Clarkson, who, if you look at drives per 36 in the ThinkingBasketball.net database, both of these guys are near the top of the league. Like, I think I think Clarkson, Clarkson, Clarkson. <laughs> yes, Clarkson. Colin Clark. Kojo or Clarkson is very, yes, it's a very potent point guard. <laughs> So, 
Clark, Clarkson, I think, is in the top 10 in drives per 36. And, you know, Colin Sexton is right around top 15. So these are two guys that, like, when all this stuff is happening, they can still break down their guy. And I know that Clarkson's, like, relative true shooting percentage is pretty underwater. Like, he's a woefully inefficient uh, type of scorer. But he kind of brings this, like, irrational confidence off the bench. Like, he might be at the top of the, like, yes, yes, no kind of guys in the NBA. Like, I think the clearest, like, yes, yes, no play. I think he, like, he like drives in. Uh, somebody tries to, I think it's Olenek, tries to make a pass to him while he's cutting. He kind of bobbles the ball, and he, like, jumps up. He's like, all right, I guess I'm just going to shoot. And then last minute, he's like, oh, wait, there's Walker Kessler. I'm just going to throw him a lob. And just, like, throws it right over and hits him. And so, like, you kind of have these two guys that are, like, really adept at getting by pretty much anyone in the NBA and at least getting paint touches. And when you have like singular talents that have the ability to do that, despite the fact that like Clarkson's uh, efficiency isn't great. um, I think that really stirs the drink a lot more and opens the door for a lot of this other off ball kind of stuff, because you still have to be afraid of the guy that has the ball as opposed to like, you know, like a classic delay action. You got a big guy up top that's passing the ball. You're not always afraid of that guy beating you off the dribble. But when you have a little speedster off the dribble, you really have to be able to watch like backline defense and rotating around to try and stop somebody like that. So I like the role that Hardy's kind of like carved out for both Clarkson and Sexton. Yeah, I mean, offensively, I just think their their role is perfect for this team. Yeah, and they're both, uh, they're not great shooters, but they're both, say, average to slightly above average three-point shooters. And when you account for the fact that, you know, some of the players in the league aren't even shooting threes in that when we look at, like, what's an average three-point shot, that means you have to worry about their catch and shoot. You have to worry about their threat of outside shooting. So the spacing is where I'm going here. The spacing really opens up, and Utah just has great spacing with some of these lineups, and that spacing can be difficult for defenses to handle right now from on a night-to-night basis. It's just, uh, you know, when you have a number of shooters, and, and then, of course, Walker Kessler comes in the game off the bench. He's playing more with the second unit, dunker spot, lob threat kind of thing, and that's on the defensive side. And then, the I mean, that's on the offensive side. And then on the defensive side, Kessler comes in the game. He's rim protecting, um, you know, Chris Dunn, Abaji, the size of players like Fontecchio, even Lowry Markinen. It's There's a lot going on, and it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful basketball, and it's just tough for people to handle right now. I want to throw a little bit more love to Colin Sexton because I think he gets a little bit of an unfair rap. Like, you, you look at some of, like, the impact numbers – and they're not great. And I think a lot of it, when you go into like PBP stats and check it out, there's a lot of defensive woes. Like his, his on-offs for defensive numbers are pretty dreadful. But you start breaking it down and look at the offensive side of things. He's kind of, you know, he's showcased himself as a nice little impact offensive player. He's not like at the top of the league, but I think he's probably like in the minds of a lot of people in the league. Um, he's probably underrated at this point and just how much he is able to contribute as a scorer, as a playmaker, as an offensive player. Uh, his He's a good shooter, like you said. He just doesn't take wide open three-point attempts. Like He's like such a low volume of wide open three-point attempts. Uh, he just takes a lot of tough shots. But again, he's actually fairly efficient for some of the attempts he makes. So I want to give Colin Sexton a little bit of his flowers on offense here. I'm so glad you mentioned Colin Sexton. We are vibing today. We're mind melding like we play for the Utah Jazz because here's the you said like Sexton's impact numbers don't look that good when you look at his profile. And for the overall season, that's true. And I think in the past, especially with some of the roles he's had to play on different teams when he's younger, he struggled to really be like this. This is a great young guard uh, who's making great decisions. The playmaking is there. The shooting is there. The turnovers are down. That has not been his career. So he's probably uh, maybe at this point very underappreciated by people. But when you look at this run the Jazz are on and you look at what's happening in the last month, I think part of it is creating an environment where more and more players can succeed to their strengths. Lowry Markkinen, everything's tailored to his strengths and they can build entire offensive sets around his size and his shooting and his movement away from the ball. But all this stuff like Fontecchio, Everything helps Fontecchio, but he's a role player. Sexton can be more of a primary player. He's one of the key on-ball attackers on the team. And if you look at his numbers in the last month, this is not from some hot shooting streak. 
He's not like a 30% shooter from three who's shooting 50% from three in the last month. That's not what's happening at all. Instead, what I see is, uh, so on the year, Sexton is like 25 points and 3% better than league average, so 61% true shooting. It's basically his numbers on the year. In the last month, he's 28 points per 75 plus 5% true shooting. And if you just go down the list of all his indicators in the last month, they're cleaner. He's more efficient. The turnovers are better. The rim field goal percentage is better. He's up to 77% at the rim in the last month. He's taking way more free throws. So he actually, he actually draws fouls because he's pretty good at getting to the rim in general. You mentioned the drives, but all, all these numbers are up. And I think it's because when you get an ecosystem that Hardy and the Jazz have built, it helps all these players like this. So now if we just zoomed in on his impact numbers for the last month that we have on our thinkingbasketball.net database, uh, all of a sudden, Cody, you jump to the 94th percentile in offensive box, box plus minus in the last month for Colin Sexton, 81st percentile overall. Still doesn't have the plus minus indicators that someone like Markkanen has, but I just go down the roster and I just see like, okay, every time you can make life easier for one of the players out there, that's what was going on with the 2014 Spurs. So in addition to maybe some of the X's and O's concepts and things like that, it's like, how do you explain Danny Green? How do you explain Gary Neal? How do you explain Tiago Splitter? And, and Boris Diaw is a really talented player, but you just put him in the right lineups and the right situations where he doesn't have to be a superstar. He can play make and do all the nice things he does. Marco Bellinelli was a shooting specialist on that team. It's a little of that same thing where you're just like, you got nine or 10 guys and it's taken a while, but I really feel like he's found the right formula to unlock that. And then we haven't even talked about the defense. A big part about Colin Sexton, a very short segment here, but it's the gym corner aspect of it. Like you, Colin Sexton has not shied away from the weight room oh, in his life. Yeah. And he, he shows, he's kind of like, the, he's got the Drew Holiday sort of drive sometimes. Like he's very adept and like he gets into the paint and he's like, I'm going to throw my shoulder into you. Maybe I'll back down this point guard a little bit and throw in a little hook. So he has the speed, but also the strength allows him to get closer and absorb some of that contact to draw a lot of those fouls you were talking about. Ben, the second favorite player of mine on the team to talk about, you mentioned, and I think it's a nice transition point. Wait, who's, the fa- who's your favorite? We haven't gotten to him yet. Oh, we'll okay. talk. Oh, you're we'll, counting. You're doing a countdown. Oh, we'll talk about him. Don't okay. you worry. We'll talk okay. about him. I'm excited um, about this. Counting down. This is fantastic. I don't mean to question like the almighty Will Hardy, uh, but can you tell me why Walker Kessler isn't playing like 33 minutes a game? Because his. I, uh, sorry, you go. You go on. You oh go. no, you, there's more to the question. I'm ready, but go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I watched this guy go. And I'm like, if we like remove Rudy Gobert this season from the picture, uh, I don't know how many players in the league right now are better paint protectors than Walker Kessler. And he's a fantastic rim roller. Obviously, passing isn't there. Spacing definitely isn't there. But in terms of just like a defense unto himself, allows them to do a lot of fun zone type stuff. I, I mean, you put him up into like 30 minutes a game and we're talking about a defensive player of the year candidate. Man, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. Mm, yeah. I don't know, Ben. I, I wouldn't go that far. Best, I don't know, better Ben. Better than everyone but Rudy. Uh, he's quite good. I mean, that's his role. You put him in the game. I think the zone helps. There's there's a lot of situations where they put him in there and they unleash the zone and he's in the middle of the zone. You can funnel stuff toward him. Do you have your fancy rim protection numbers on Walker Kessler this year? I, just, I think he's very good at that role, but I, I would not automatically put him in like... 34 minutes a game, defensive player of the year. Well, well, you check that. I think the clear answer to what's going on there, A, they don't really play anybody more than 30 or 32 minutes a game because of these uh, lineups. And, and part of that with the Spurs, and I think part of that with the Jazz, that maybe we haven't explicitly said, they play so hard. They run on both ends of the court. They communicate, they sprint, they run into their actions, they move a lot. It feels just like with that Spurs team 10 years ago. It feels like the coach is getting ants in his pants anytime, the, anytime they stop. 
Like anytime there's like five out spacing and the guy's like dancing with the ball, as a as a viewer, you're like, whoa, what's happening? Someone broke the jazz. The 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 aliens from Space Jam came down and they stole their juju for a second. Like, the, why isn't everyone running around? The controllers have been unplugged. Mom came into the room and she turned the game off. That's kind of what it feels like. Uh, but I think spacing is the answer with Walker Kessler on offense. Just finding the right spacing with the lineups that they have. So the spacing changes when he comes in and you try to do stuff, like if he screens up higher, things like that, you try to do stuff to preserve the spacing, but it's a different thing that that's, than that starting unit where a lesser defender like John's, John Collins gives you that spacing because he's at least like a 36, 37% open three-point shooter that teams have to respect. And he gives you that uh, pop and vertical threat as well that Kessler gives you. I, th- I think that's what's happened. So, you know, without getting too in the weeds of this, like, these rim protection numbers we're looking at, basically it's like on-off estimate of how many rim points a team scores based on whether or not you're on the court. So basically, right? what what does the team's paint defense look like when you're in the game versus out of the game? And the summary for uh, our friend Walker Kessler is how good does it look? Well, it's interesting because it looks like you checked this a couple hundred minutes ago. And Ben, I'm happy to come back and report to you that it has improved. Ooh, that at this ooh. at this point in the season, uh, their defense is six points better per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Mm-hmm. And the rim numbers, I mean, it stacks up against, you know, because I, I spent a lot of the offseason checking these numbers out. It literally stacks up with and surpasses most anyone that I would look at in this entire century, right? There's like an 11 points per 100 uh, possessions difference in the paint when this he's is, on the court versus Walker, off the court. right now, this season. This is Walker Minus Kessler 11 this season. at the rim, you're saying. Yes, exactly. Whew. And I would say, like, you look at pretty much anyone over the course of a couple seasons, like Joel Embiid, KG, Tim Duncan, a lot of these guys, if you get around, like, negative 7, negative 8, negative 9, at that point, you're like, you're an elite rim protector. But, like, the absolute best, like the Rudy Gobert's, Shaq, uh, Jason Collins, all these guys get into double digits. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the second year in a row Walker Kessler would be boasting a double-digit number in here. So just by this metric, and like you said, the zone part of it, I think the zone helps. I think he's the reason the zone works so well because he's mobile enough that he can like, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy in the corner, but also if anyone comes near the rim, like, okay, Marshawn Beauchamp, like you're going to be cutting to the rim. Like I'm going to just walk over, like volleyball block you and you try and come over here. So... I, I don't know. I think he's the key to their defense being as as fun as it is. 12% of the audience couldn't pick Walker Kessler out of a lineup. Uh, Cody, oh, he's the guy that kind of looks like Will Hardy. <laughs> he's, a t- he's the taller version <laughs> of Will Hardy. Cody, I think you have to take this round. I think we have to give this round to Cody. Uh, I, think, I think you're making some really strong points. If you look at his field goals defended around the basket that they track with the tracking data. He's in the 97th percentile in volume, meaning he contests a lot of shots around the hoop. And he's in the 97th percentile in efficiency, meaning he makes you much less efficient than we would expect. That is fantastic. That is elite upper crust stuff. So I think we have to give this round to Cody on Walker Kessler. Plus, in the last month, I've been talking about all these changes. And see, I think this has to do with playing on the second unit. But this is one of the reasons why I don't immediately go to like, he's the second best defensive player in the league. Uh, Playing on the second unit maximizes all this stuff. It helps him play slightly weaker competition, slightly different teammates out there. And then of course he's replacing who they don't really have like a center anymore on the starting unit, right? He's replacing John Collins. So what we've seen in the last month, these are some stats for you, my friend. Are you sitting down? You are. I can see you. I don't know why I I'll sit down that. more. I'll get lower for this. If one. you're driving at home and you, you're prone to listening and driving off the road like I am when you hear crazy stats, you might want to pull over. I don't want to be responsible for any vehicular incidents. Uh, the Jazz are 18 points better per 100 in the last month with Walker Kessler on the floor. And Cody, would you like to know Utah's net rating with Walker Kessler on the floor? In the last oh month. God. What is, it's, it has to be more than plus seven, I'm guessing. It is a little bit more than plus seven. The Jazz are plus 18 per 100 with Walker Kessler on the court in the last month. Um, I told you, I told you, in this show, we're going to convince you that the Utah Jazz are a real thing and we need to kind of reckon with what does that mean? Like, how good are they? What does this actually mean? That's a bench player. And again, assuming you haven't seen what's been going on there, it's almost like hockey shifts. You will usually see 
four to five starters play together at once and then four sometimes even five bench players sometimes they keep a starter in or something like that but you'll see an entirely different second unit out there at the end of the first quarter and the start of the second quarter so if we go to the starting starting lineups in the last month Lowry Marketing always has these beautiful on off numbers the last two seasons Jazz are plus 11 per 100 with Lowry Marketing on the floor in the last month plus 11 that, that, make of that what you will. That's phenomenal. It's a nice number. Yeah. It's a good-looking number. Yeah. Something that Lowry... Lowry so I'm, I'm like, pronounce his name differently every time. Lowry Markton, right? Low, I, Lowry. I think there are Finnish sounds that I can't say that are subtly different, but yes, we'll go with... Yes, we'll go with that. So it's a little bit of a, a nitpicky thing, I think, with some announcers. I think people should try as much as possible to stick with the last name of players because there's a lot of times where I'll be watching a jazz game and somebody will refer to Lowry, and I'm like, when did Kyle Lowry get in this game? Like, who, what's <laughs> going on? Isn't that the local? The local? Don't, don't you feel like national guys use the last name more and the local guys just, they're like, Steve has the ball, passes it over to Pat. <laughs> Like what? Who? I think it's necessary for some guys when you have a couple of like repeating last names, but like Lowry, that's Kyle Lowry in my book. Uh, Something that we didn't talk about with him, actually. uh, He doesn't turn the ball over, Ben. And I know this has a lot to do with him just like not being like, I'm going to handle and dance with the ball and make these passes. But I think that's an aspect that's super underrated in terms of how valuable his scoring is. It's just relative to other dudes that have the offensive load that he does and that scores as much as he does. He just doesn't turn it over. Right. And I think, like I said, you know, high release, straight line drives, the offense is really set up for him to do well. But like you were talking about with Walker Kessler coming off the bench, I'm not going to dock a guy for being in a great situation for himself. Right. I'm not going to dock Colin Sexton for finding a system that really works well for him to be able to get to the basket and be efficient and things like that. So uh, Markinen's again, able to elevate their offense by, you know, just like like guys like DeMar DeRozan, who also don't turn the ball over, it's an added bonus to your offensive efficiency that isn't discussed as much. Cody, what are we doing with Will Hardy? What, what, where is he in the, the coach hierarchy? Can he, can he win the coach of the year after starting uh, with that record that they had? Is that 7-16? and 16? Can he go 7-16 and 16 and win the coach of the year? Okay. We're halfway through this. We have half the season... To go, they ben. have another forty-one games. So either yeah. either either people need to figure them out better, and have some jazz-specific scouting. It's no longer a night off; like they're catching people off guard. Like either that needs to happen, or shooting luck and variance aside, Utah's just going to continue to rack up wins in the second half of the year. They're already above five hundred, mm-hmm. which is crazy because when we talk about a team starting like seven and sixteen, you go like, can they even get to five hundred by the end of the year? They're already above 500. Even if they slow way down, 45. Like, what's the number that gets him in the coach of the year inner circle? Well, you and I, I think we did a podcast about this last year, I think, right? About, like, the narratives is what drives coach. Like, that's basically all that matters for coach of the year. Like, yes. not necessarily scale, it's the narrative. The, ex- the expectation um, <laughs> in the preseason and things like that. Like, wh- how many wins do we think this team's going to have? And then how many wins do they end up having kind of coupled with a narrative like did they did they do this the year before is there a new coach is there a new player that kind of thing according to vegasinsider.com v- vegas vegas what did i say yeah vegas vegas las vegas Ve- yeah. vegas yeah. vegas really struggling with words today las vegas that sounds weird midwesterner just coming out here <laughs> uh according to this was just updated in january 10th um <laughs> will hardy is 27th in coach of the year like 20, basically 27th like, to win the award yeah, yeah he's there's 27th. some lag there's a little lag yeah. there's a lag in vegas insider is yeah. that what you're telling me i'm uh, what i'm telling you is uh uh by the way cody's like a teetotaler there's no substances involved in this but <laughs> you know so i sometimes you like you hear words and they don't sound right anyway uh, <laughs> yes this is yeah will hardy <laughs> so, like, 27th yeah I don't know. There's a lot of season left, so anything can happen. But I think if we keep up the pace of what's going on, I don't know if Mark Dagnold's case is impeachable at this point. Like, I think he's pretty much already got the award wrapped up in, like, everyone's minds. Uh, And then I think the interesting other guys that he's probably competing with, Chris Finch, depending on how the Timberwolves kind of end up. Um, Jamal Mosley's, like, third right now on this Vegas insider, but I I think that's going to drop off a little bit more. So, honestly, you know, also... 
The uh, Pelicans have had an incredible last month, so maybe there's a w- interesting like Willie Green resurgence here. But I do think that his best competition and probably the two f- top front runners are uh, Mark Dagnalt and Chris Finch for Coach of the Year. Yeah, I think those are. Did you mention Eric Spolstra? Did you put him in there? Oh wow, I forgot about Eric. Spol- I think you know what this is. I feel sad. I kind of don't know if Eric Spolstra is ever going to win Coach of the Year. He's too good for Coach of the Year. Yeah, yeah. We we just kind of like know it, yeah. you know. It was it was like LeBron at a certain point in the 2010s. It's like, all right, just go to the finals and we'll give MVP to somebody. In 2031, else. Uh, there's going to be a trophy they hand out for playoff coach, the best playoff coach. Mm. It's kind of like the Eastern and Western Conference MVPs that we've been missing our whole lives. And then the Thinking Basketball podcast. If it's still around then, I mean, probably won't be. That's a long time. Uh, but some podcast is going to go, let's retroactively go back and do all the playoff coaches and who's going to get this trophy. And they'll give Spolstra like three of those. They'll, they'll hang some banners somewhere. They'll be like, Eric Spolstra, 2023 playoff coach of the year. We don't have that yet, but he'll get it. He'll do it. The other one, uh, Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse mm. has got to be up there. He's got to be oh, way up there. I forgot about Nick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Philadelphia is going to crush their preseason expectations. I think a lot of this depends on, like, uh, how many games does Embiid play? Do they finish second in the standings? That kind of thing. Missoula, with the Celtics being so good, will probably be in there somewhere. But I don't see – I mean, Ime Udoka's done a good job. Tom Thibodeau? With New Honestly, York? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But th- these are teams with pretty good, like – I think Udoka – if they can get above 500, because the Jazz preseason, uh, the Jazz, the Rockets preseason expectation was so much lower. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be there. But Utah also did not have a high preseason expectation. So I, I don't know. Maybe we should end the show on this. Like, where do you think this team is going? Besides to our television sets every night in the Thinking Basketball universe, because they're the best league pass team. Um, I should actually. I have you did a soapbox thing earlier about saying first names. I want to do a mini soapbox thing. Ooh, okay. They have the worst uniforms I've ever seen, maybe in all of <laughs> professional sports. I don't know what's going on. Like they're at this point, they shouldn't even have colors in the uniform. It should just be a black and white uniform with a number. It shouldn't have a name on the. Let's go more minimalist. I would like no name on the front and a number. I could be convinced into no number. I could be talked into no number. Who's that? That's just Fontecchio. You have to know him. That's Simone. You just have to know him. Um, so I think that is part of the league pass experience. Zach Lowe and I are very connected on this. I think the court matters. I think the arena ambiance and matters. I, and for me, I think that's part of the fun uh, of getting into a, a team when you watch them a lot, that, that whole sort of experience of watching it on TV. But other than that, man, I mean, who's more fun than the Jazz? This is my blind spot as an analyst. Like, I just have no eye for the aesthetic. Like, my wife was trying to have me check out a new comforter she wanted to try out. And, like, she had it set up. She's like, how does it look? I'm like, I don't know. So I laid down immediately and pulled it up. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't care about what it looks like. I just I just care about the feel. Like, that's how I feel about watching the NBA. Like, I, I don't even notice jerseys. Like, they could all just be in plain white tees and just, like, some shorts. And do, I'd be good with do it. Do you see the NBA in black and white or, like, a black and green, like, Neo? Is it just, is that how you see it? No, yeah, you, you I, don't. You don't know anyone's color. You don't know that Luka Doncic likes to wear pink shoes. I don't even see the code anymore, Ben. <laughs> I just see Luka Doncic, pink shoes. Before we get out of here, Ben, we have to talk about a player. Is this your favorite jazz player? Yeah, we we need. We did not wax poetic enough about this guy. Can I guess who it is? Yeah, because you know you have to know who it is. I've inferred point. it. I've inferred it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know before we recorded, but now oh, that man. we've done our jazz thing and we've talked about the jazz, there's only one left. There is only one, and that is one it? is done. It's oh, not one and, it's one, one and done. The one is what? done. It's Chris Dunn, right? Have you, have you watched Chris Dunn play basketball? Chris Dunn, when he was with the Bulls a couple years ago, I was like, I think we talked about him in one of the thinkies, the, the Thinking Basketball mm. Defensive Awards. The mm-hmm. hands, the activity. Like he, he had in the past these moments defensively where I thought he could be a really elite defender, starting guard, kind, kind of basically the position he's in now. And then I feel like he he faded into the background for a while, only to be revitalized. There's something, I don't know what it is. He dropped down in minutes per game, so he's kind of like in the Gary Payton the second when he's healthy, 
minutes, like he's playing like 17 minutes per game. And I think he was playing 25 minutes per game last time that he was really a big mainstay in the league. But if we're talking about just like the defensive skills that this guy brings, um, I don't want to say the best because, you know, I got to hold things for the thinkies. I got to really map out some of my thoughts, but I would be really hard pressed to find one or two guys in the league that are better at chasing around screens than Chris Dunn. You know, somebody sets a screen, he's following right behind them. He doesn't necessarily like do a switch right away. And something he does that's just so catches so many guys off guard is he'll chase somebody around a screen. I think he got uh, he got Jamal Murray on something like this before. I don't remember who else he caught on this, but like. He'll be following right behind them, and the player comes around. He's like, oh, look at this open pocket pass that I have to the rolling big man. And he throws it, and Chris Dunn's already like, I knew you were going to pass that, and just like teleports over there and steals it. Or the person has like a step on him, and they're like, oh, look at this wide open floater that I have. Chris Dunn's like, nope, I'm already beating you to that spot. So just like you can't count him out of a play ever around a screen and beyond that just like the communication I don't know if there's a team that like points as much as this team does on defense like I think it's against the the Mavericks there's a he's defending Luka Doncic John Collins comes up uh they set a screen on Dunn and Dunn like drops back and Laurie Markkinen's immediately like go to the corner and they just completely stifle the pick and roll I think I think Luka ends up just like Luka-ing it and hits a step back three anyway um but just like how disruptive Chris Dunn is on defense with just like getting blocks down low, stripping people, um, stopping people's like pocket passes. It's unbelievable how he's just everywhere on defense. And I think that combined with like, the, I think the passing chops are interesting with him, whereas I don't count him as a good creator. But I think in space, he makes the right read enough that it keeps the offense like flowing, even though he doesn't like, he's not much of like an offensive issue for other teams at all but he can move the ball and that combined to make him like a dimes and defense guy in the nba i i just love chris dunn he's my number one jazz man do you know that chris dunn once missed time with dislocated teeth <laughs> it's 2018 he, he t- you don't remember this he fell he <laughs> fell and uh, i'm trying to make sure i got my my facts right on this because it was a long time ago he fell and he chipped and dislocated two of his front teeth it was like the end of the it's like the, the same time like five, six years ago when he was playing with the Bulls. You don't remember that? What is dislocated teeth? I, that's what I'm just saying. Like, I don't know. Uh, that's on the injury report. It says sore teeth and then dislocated teeth from a fall. Because, you know. I think he's playing I've the dis- Warriors. I've dislocated digits. You yes. know, that's the whole like yeah. pop it right back. I don't know. Can you do that for teeth? Like, did someone just like grab them just like, you know. I don't know. I've dislocated limbs. I don't recommend it. Yeah. 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 Teeth sounds terrible. Um, go su- watch the Utah Jazz. If They're you great. want to support this show, go to patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Uh, that, of course, is where we have our stats board for teams and players that updates throughout the season. We've got some of those additional stats that we might be trying to add this week. We'll see what happens um, in terms of what I was talking about with Colin Sexton and Lowry marketing in the last month. And those, those are always fun things to look at. We're trying to keep an eye on who's hot and who's not uh, in the NBA. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Cody, we did it. We, we talked, we did an entire hour on the Utah jazz. I feel like there's more we could cut. I mean, it's just, we'll see. We'll see. How many people do you think made it through this show? 13? Well, I, I do feel bad for the people that were waiting for the Kelly Olynyk section, because I think he's also, there's just, there's too much to talk about, and I don't think, the I don't Kelly think we wanted The Kelly Olynyk section. Yes. Yeah. Head, he's fantastic. Headband Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think the people wanted an hour of Utah, so some things, some things just didn't make the cut, Ben. That's true. That's true. We can't go we believe. In editing around here, Ben, we believe in editing on the Thinking Basketball, the podcast, the show. Editing? You mean the podcast? Yeah. yeah. We haven't edited the podcast in years. Editing. We're self-editing. Self-editing. Oh, oh, yes. You know what I mean? You mean not just getting up here and just ranting about basketball for an hour and saying, like, we're going to have a 10-minute conversation, and then it goes, like, one hour and 41 minutes because we have every thought under the sun, including new ones that pop into our head, like little AIs that don't work. That kind of editing? When you put it that way, I guess this is like the first time we've ever cut out a section. So uh, I recant. I do not think we believe in, in, in what's it called, on-the-spot editing, like I just said. I don't know. I want to hear about this Walker Kessler. I want to know where people are on Walker Kessler. You made some great points about his presence 
as a rim protector. Uh, but I also feel like moving him, moving him to the bench and getting to pair with Kelly Olynyk has been one of the wonderful adjustments that will. We waited through this whole episode without talking about Utah's flare screens, which are the <laughs> coolest thing in the NBA. Can I need to actually um, before Milwaukee comes at me right now? Um, we we bought the fact that well they like beat the pants off Milwaukee, the Utah Jazz did. Uh, I know Damian Lillard wasn't playing, but the first half of that Bucks game was still like maybe the first, the worst half of Bucks basketball I've seen in a really long time. And just go and watch. Watch how Utah builds a wall to defend Giannis. They constantly just have like three guys. And I know, I know it wouldn't have worked as well if Damian Lillard was out there, but still. Like, this is a team that, like, we're kind of trying to pretend like the championship favorites or championship contenders, but, like, watch that first half against the Jazz. It's tough. I, we really shouldn't have buried this after the <laughs> outro, after the segment, after the outro, after the bonus segment, but we should mention, Cody, you have, you have, a, you have a little announcement. Oh, my yes, God. you have a little announcement that you'd, you'd like to make that, that is related to the programming. Our programming has been a little off. It's going to be a little off. For the foreseeable future, we'll play it by ear. Uh, but I forgot to mention it last time. Cody, you have an announcement. Yeah, I do. I completely forgot to mention this. Um, I'm going to be a dad in like the next few weeks. Uh, so, yeah, my wife is due in the next few weeks. Going to go dad mode. Hopefully, I take the Fred Van Vliet route. And that just like superpowers me in every other element of life. But, uh, yeah, I'll be gone for a couple weeks from this podcast. Um, but I will still, you know. I'm going to keep being a mainstay as much as possible here. And I think I think we can do it uh, once I am imbued with the Fred Van Vliet power. So big congratulations to Cody. He's going to be a father. And uh, he will he will be on a little bit of a paternity leave. And then we'll kind of play it by ear. We'll see what we do after that. I might Cody, I might have to do a solo podcast. I don't know. I might have to get a guest. I, when was the last time we had a guest? A guest? A guest. How does that work? Well, we had Kyle. We but did that was have th- Kyle, if you can count that as a, as a guest. Yeah, we did have that. Yeah. I hear, I hear people still reach out to you about how great the floater segment was. Um, I'm happy to revisit that. You mean you want to do 24 more minutes on shooting floater threes in the NBA? Okay. That might yeah. be the apex of this, of this show. Um, yeah. But beyond that, I don't, know who was, I don't know who was a guest before that, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I that's that's the programming. We'll we'll play it by ear. Um, I'm not sure what that means for our normal Monday Thursday schedule yet, but uh, yeah, I think more importantly, congratulations to Cody, and let's wish him luck on fatherhood. It's easy. You just don't don't just all you have to do is not mess up your child. That's it. Oh, Super easy. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's. I'm hoping I can do that. I'm going to go in with the Will Hardy mentality and just be a well-oiled machine at all times. I I don't. She'll be able to do a flare screen by like six months, right? Like that's uh that's six coachable. months. Six months. I mean, I think you're being a little ridiculous. Six months is just no way you're doing flare screens at six months and feeling good about yourself. Three months is when you do the flare screen. Got it. Okay. Uh, that's it for this show. Thanks, thanks for listening all the way through. And of course, we hope you are having a great day.